Awesome. Tom, Do it. thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Lots going on and lots to chat about. So I'm thrilled to have you on here and uh, excited excited for this um, for this filming. So uh, let's get right into it. So Tom, who are you? How'd you get into Web3? Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll pass it over to you with that. Great. Thanks, Matthias. Um, yeah, uh, you know, been in this space for, um, gosh, coming on seven years now, 2015. Wow. Um, I, I'm self-appointed um, recovering investment banker um, and, uh, you know, understood how the, how the proverbial sausage is made inside of the financial institutions. Um, and, you know, I learned a lot. There's a tons of value add for society, but there's also large parts of it that are, you know, I think unnecessary with, you know, the new technology and the internet that we have. So anyways, um, so worked at, you know, Bank of America for a number of years and um, went to business school, worked in private equity, followed that sort of finance route. Um, but it wasn't until I, um, I ran an e-commerce company for about five years, which was really exciting, but it gave me some exposure to the world of technology in terms of uh, networking, in terms of, um, you know, web interactions and APIs and data transfer. And, and so, you know, I wouldn't call myself a specialist, but it gave me enough to understand something like Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, and so the early days, um, uh, understanding the problem set around, you know, uh, global wealth transfers and the banking um, industry, but also understanding the opportunities and capabilities that we have within technology. So uh, pair those two together and made a made a ton of sense so seven years seven years in this space is like is a long time dinosaur right um so where did you start in this space seven years ago and kind of and how'd you get in there and, and where are you today yeah it's been it's been a it's been a journey and it's you know with twists and turns for yeah. sure um you know originally i understood again bitcoin as something that is meaningful to the world right a self-sovereign currency that can't be censored or manipulated um and still to to today, that that plays an important role. Um, I did start to re, I, I went down this path around enterprise adoption. Um, so I worked at the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, cool. um, working with large companies like J.P. Morgan and Intel and E&Y around their uh, their deployments and how it would affect uh, uh, their business. Um, you know, it didn't have the teeth that we were really going for at the time in terms of adoption. You know, it seems like. You know, really, this movement is around peer-to-peer, -peer, and I think we're going to get into that today. Um, we want to facilitate peer-to-peer -peer interactions and financial transactions. That's really what blockchains enable. That's the disruption that blockchains enable. Um, it's, it's, we should get away from this idea of um, these trusted counterparties, you know, such as uh, crypto exchanges, and, um, and be able to not just communicate um, like we're doing here, not just communicate like we're doing on the internet, uh, but also, uh, you know, enter into business contracts without, you know, the approval of any sort of, you know, agency or, or um, be able to um, be able to trade and to lend and to do things with 8 billion people around the world and not just, you know, my immediate vicinity. Cool. So, so you transitioned to there and now you're a network. So, and by the way, like, I wouldn't have said I got in that early, but you know I'd heard of Bitcoin, I'd heard of Ethereum, and the self-sovereignness of it, and the ability that it was going to like really change things. I mean, it grasped me too. Um, so kudos for you jumping in as early as you did, um, and and now you're at Network. So so what is Network, and and how and how does Web three kind of play in with with the Network strategy? Absolutely. Um, so um, 
Network Entertainment. Um, it's a um, you know f uh, full spectrum um, uh, production studio for uh, documentaries, documentary series, and um, we work with um, the top top uh, talent, sports, movies, music around the world to create these compelling uh, productions uh, that are you know behind the scenes, and it goes deeper than just what you may know about. Um, about these you know, cultural icons. And so what we're doing with NFTs is we're sort of taking that from the screen to your computer and uh, looking at how NFTs will be this new medium of um, interactions, especially with you know, well-known intellectual property, call it, um, not to be too professional, but you know, we have all these, all these um, you think about you know, sports and how enthusiastic, look at the World Cup and yeah the way that people are showing their pride. Um, they're doing it with t-shirts and jerseys. And, um, but we'll also see a digital medium uh, afford people to show their support and show um, that, you know, not only, not, only to, not only to signal their support for their, for their teams or their affinity, uh, but also potentially to own a piece of it or own sort of a sub-segment of some of these interactions. And that's what NFTs enable, right? It enables... Um, not just creators to benefit from their work in a digital medium, but it also allows the fans to do that uh, and to be a part of not just the story growth and the, uh, the, the, the content, but also um, the ownership and maybe some financial implications. So I think it just creates a win-win scenario between creators and fans. Um, and then, you know, with, so we're also rolling out with uh, the Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, we just completed a um, ten-part series that's airing on TSN called "Greatness Calling." Uh, it's the story of um, uh, hockey legends that were inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame from the year 2000 2020. There's 73 of them, and so um, what we're what the 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 series is to celebrate these players and to show them behind the scenes. And it's really please tune in. Um, but what we're doing on the NFT side is is sort of an extension of that. We want to educate more people about the Hockey Hall of Fame. About the game of hockey um, and about the legends that were associated with it. So um, we've we initially have our our greatness calling NFT. We can maybe reference uh, for free that anyone can go mint on the Ethos platform. Yeah. Uh, but certainly more to come uh, down the road for the uh, for the entirety of the hockey whole thing. It to me like and I try to like put myself in other people's shoes, but to me it seems like it's so natural and such an obvious extension of, of where things go. So you have this amazing IP and you have these like really great films and these documentaries, and then you have people watching it, right? And then they're participating through kind of just watching and, and, and just visualizing it. And now they can participate by watching it, but also like owning a piece of it um, and interacting and becoming kind of like, you know, fan 2.0. Um, so to me, it seems so obvious, but network has gotten into this like relatively like early in, 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 the, in the whole kind of like filming space. Um, what, what was that kind of like, what were those decisions like and, and why, how did you guys, how did you know to get in when you did? Um, well, the, I mean, the market was, you know, in our, in our favor, you know, in summer of, you know, last summer, yeah, yeah. 21. Um, and, um, you know, what we were, we were seeing a lot of success from, sports brands, right, with, with you know, NBA Top Shots, NFL All Day, with Dapper Labs, and, um, and even across the world, it was so rare. We saw that sports, you know, people had this, like, yeah. just, just 
ardent like affinity towards sports and to follow and to um, you know with jerseys and painting faces. I mean, it's just it's hard to replicate that that level of connection yeah. that humans have with anything else, right? Yeah. And so and so um, you know because we were working we're working with the Hockey Hall of Fame and other and other sports groups like that's that's an excellent opportunity and it's not just an opportunity to get into nfts as sort of a commercial endeavor but it's a great way for us to sort of cross uh um, you know cross pollinate or look at how we create synergies across the documentary side and the nft side because again like if you think about think about the success factors of an nft in my mind it's uh, it's it's beautiful art and it's yeah. that art production and that's what we do on the documentary yeah. side we put beautiful things on the screens second is it's the uh, storytelling right behind the scenes things that people don't really know much about and so you know we do that with in, in nfts like that's a that's a cornerstone to it right and we do that in documentaries and getting behind it um, and then it's you know distribution global distribution right um, how do we reach the fans around the world and networks already doing that with partnerships with you know Netflix and Apple Plus and and so um, so these like key pillars of success um, for me were pretty clear that they could apply well to the NFT world. It's exciting, right? And like right now we have a great campaign going where you can sign up and you get a free NFT and that gives a lot of people access to something that they've probably never experienced before and connects it with something like so part of their day to day, which is like hockey. Right. Um, what, 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 what's the thing about the, the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame campaign that has you the kind of the most excited um, and has you kind of like, what's the part of it that you're telling the most people about? Yeah, I think I would say this, like there's a lot of, there are offerings in, in the sports uh, arena. And I think that there's, there's sort of three segments of it we're covering first. The first is like, who are the athletes today and what are they doing, yeah. right? It's exciting because they're on the screen and we follow them, but are they going to be the greatest players ever to live? I'm not sure. Jury's still out, right? Um, I think the second one is we're seeing like individuals like Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, yeah. and they're standing out in front and creating, you know, one of 10,000 NFTs of themselves, right? And so for fans like that, that's interesting. But does it, you know, does it provide the, um, the uh, not authenticity, but sort of the collectability of yeah. it, right? Um, becomes under question. Um, and the third category where we're playing is like the collections of um, hockey's greatest players. There, there, will, there will be no better hockey players <laughs> right. in the last 100 yeah. years than, than, than the list that we have, right? Yeah. And so, um, so they are, you know, their names are etched in the history of hockey. There are no better hockey players than them. And we want to, you know, memorialize that, right? And, and thinking about that as a collectible, for me, it gets me really, yeah. really excited, right? We're going back to sort of the old school, uh, you know, ripping open, you know, hockey cards and, and it smells like bubble gum and, you know, having that collectors. And, and I think that, that we want to bring that kind of excitement back, uh, but authenticity as well. I think this is exactly the right way to look at it, though, right? I mean, like, sure, there's going to be projects that do really well when people don't think they're going to do well. And there's projects that, you know, that people think are going to do well and they don't do well. But 
that's all the speculative game, right? Here, and, and what I love about what the hockey, what you're doing with the Hockey Hall of Fame and what we're doing with you is that these are legitimate, like, like legitimately, these are the best hockey players that have, that have played the game. And this is in partnership with the Hockey Hall of Fame, who is like stamping them as right. the best players. And this is giving people access to those players in a collectible way. Yeah. Um, and also, you don't need to have like, you know, only have a crypto wallet or, or these types of things. So it really opens it up to people. So I'm, I'm really excited and I think that um, whenever we can make it easy for consumers and we can provide them, you know, utility and then also just like reduce the risk for them, mm -hmm. I think this is a, a great onboard for, for many people. And I think there's going to be a lot of people that purchase or, or, or get the free hockey uh, Hall of Fame NFT and then participate further in the space. And I think, you know, who knows where that, where that will take them. But yep. I think their entry point, a lot, for a lot of people, I think their entry point is going to be something that they're passionate about, like hockey. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, maybe I'll take a shot at, you know, kind of looking into the future yeah, to yeah, see yeah. where this could go, yeah. right? And um, so if we, if we go back to, you know, even early, mid-2021, only last year, where <laughs> NFTs really exploded on the scene, um, you know, it started with Beeple's sort of everyday yeah. beautiful piece of art on the cover of Wall Street Journal um, that really kicked off um, this, this, you know, craze, excitement. It was, it was, it was pretty wild. Um, so, you know, there was a, there was a lot of adoption all of a sudden, right? Charts just went like this, but there wasn't the infrastructure to back up all of this activity, right? It, I mean, you know, the ability to, um, to custody an NFT in a wallet, um, you know, in a, in a trustless way that I can keep it and not keeping it with someone else. And we can go into that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's really the, that is the ethos of, of uh, blockchain is to have that self-sovereign ownership, right? So that, um, the infrastructure for NFTs wasn't fully developed last summer. And, uh, and the idea now that there's enhanced trading with different marketplaces, um, there's even lending, right? I yeah. can lend my CryptoPunk to, uh, to a group of investors. They'll pay me a return. Um, uh, I can fractionalize, you know, NFTs. Um, there's a lot more data and, you know, data analytics around trading and velocity and finding. So um, with all this early excitement in 2021, we weren't really prepared yeah. for that. And so fast forward to, um, you know, call it 18 months later. Now we do have infrastructure, you know, like Ethos, where you know, um, mainstream, you know, buyers and fans can can buy NFTs with their credit card and store them safely. And and that's fantastic. We have new blockchains with new capabilities. Um, we're now in this sort of quiet period, we'll yeah, call yeah. it, for lack of a better term, within NFT markets. And that enthusiasm is certainly, um, certainly uh, uh, pulled back. But all of this VC capital went into building this amazing yeah. infrastructure that we have. And so, you know, the... All of these things are cyclical. People get loud, they get quiet, and we're going to go back into that phase, right? But the next phase will really have a lot more um, support, right? We're seeing we're seeing wallets supported by Instagram. We're seeing Twitter validate NFTs. Um, we're seeing custody providers, even in like the Coinbase that that offers that. So um, that will encourage and support a much bigger universe in NFTs that we've ever seen. And so, you know, 
picking timing, but I mean, that's going to happen in the next, you know, 12, 18 months, right? It's so interesting. And like, you think about human behavior too, right? But it's like, we as a humans, like we figure out this new, really interesting thing. And then we just get so excited that we like, almost like run too fast at it that like right. we, we fall over yeah we weren't ready we weren't ready and yeah. then and then we go quiet and then during the quiet period people build out the proper infrastructure yep. and then eventually it, it comes back and i think a good example is um is DeFi. Yep. I, I think like you know was it 2000 and like 16 16 17. 17 where the same thing happened to what happened at nfts just recently happened yep. to DeFi back then when it's like oh my like wow this really great technology huge huge hype huge huge like you know um excitement around it and then kind of things kind of got a little got a little wonky and kind of broke a little bit and then um it went into a quiet period and then and then and then 2020 happened but i'll let you tell the story because i know you're, you're a lot closer to it am, am i right in that kind of like time frame and analysis absolutely absolutely um so if we you know crypto and blockchain industry is is not it's it's you know, been around for 15 years um and so it's still early right there's a lot of developments occurring um but in in 2016 17 we coined this term ico initial coin offering similar to like an ipo but you can do it on an unregistered yeah. global nature. Um, what now, could go wrong? What could go wrong, right? <laughs> I mean, the world wasn't really ready, yeah, but yeah. speculative fervor uh, was was alive and well. And so, um, so there was all this capital flowing in, all this excitement. Um, but what were people offering? They were offering stories. They were offering plans. They were offering yeah. their own concepts that weren't here today, right? And so that's difficult for uh, the the general public, right? Um, so a lot of those things collapsed, right? And, you know, ex excluding Bitcoin and Ethereum as large, you know, networks for financial transactions, many of the others, the apps and the other blockchains fell to the wayside um, because capital just reallocated. Uh, but then in the summer of 2020, again, that's probably three years, three and a half years later, um, all of those builders, all those people so excited about building this new, uh, this new um, trust layer on the internet, for, for, for trading and for secure data, um, actually built the infrastructure yeah. that we need to, to do peer-to-peer -peer exchange, which are called DEXs, right? Uh, to do peer-to-peer -peer lending in these lending pools and to do derivatives and other really interesting things. We had technology and it shipped and it created this sort of next leg up yeah. of excitement within the sort of traditional DeFi, decentralized finance. And so when we reflect on NFTs last year, same same Happy story, Halloween. right? We just weren't ready. We didn't have the the real adoption. We just had stories, we had narratives. Uh, well now it's history because it's because it was built out. And so um, so DeFi is very exciting and I think that um, there are certain lessons with lessons within the market of uh, FTX to uh, to reflect on to at least to explain the difference between mm -hmm. um, like a uh, like a, a crypto exchange that's operated by humans and something like a decentralized exchange which allows peer-to-peer -peer interactions. So for the benefits of, of the audience do you want to just kind of like peel that back a little bit and just maybe in the simplest way possible explain um, what DeFi is and then um, the application of DeFi in traditional finance in, in, in the comparisons. Sure, sure. Well, I'll start with the latter yeah, first. Yeah. So um, traditional finance, right? Um, traditional finance, we have um, um, humans that we trust uh, to facilitate financial transactions yeah. of anything, right? Securities, bonds, land. Um, 
And then we have what we call um, centralized finance, CFI. And that's those are humans that we trust with our cryptocurrency to hold our cryptocurrency, to invest it, and to, um, and to you know, take out instructions that we, that we give. Um, not too different from traditional finance, right? Like a brokerage account. Um, same format, but now we just have cryptocurrency. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's Coinbase um, in the US, Canada. That's like things like Wealthfront. Um, well, simple, sorry. Yeah. Wealthfront's US. And, uh, and then FTX, which yeah. we heard in the news. So we, as uh, um, users of that platform, gave them cryptocurrency to hold for them. And, um, and in fact, the humans that we had to trust were not, uh, not were not trustworthy <laughs> as humans. And so they did what humans do, right? Sort of like this motivation for, for greed and, and for fame and, and all those things. I mean, this is a Hollywood saga yeah. come to life. Um, so this is not DeFi. Let's be totally clear about this. FTX is not DeFi. No. So, so, so said differently or said the same way, actually, is taking cryptocurrencies, giving them to an individual or an individual entity and giving them full control and letting them do in trusting them is not DeFi. It's not DeFi, yeah. right. <clears throat> DeFi is um, a, a spectrum of uh, financial contracts. There's um, around, right now, around $80 billion just in, sta- um, just in all in DeFi. There's about 40 billion stable coins. But these are where individuals hold their own money. They hold their own crypto. They hold their own NFTs. And they connect peer-to-peer across blockchain networks like Ethereum or like Flow and facilitate trading peer-to-peer. I have coin A, you have coin B, and we want to swap. Um, We have lending. I will lend you coin A for one year and you pay me a return on that. This happens with like amazing results in terms of safety of custody. There are no humans to take your take your money away from you. You're not trusting the other party because all the agreements that you enter into are encoded in the blockchain. Yeah. You trust code, you don't trust um, you know, PDF contracts mm-hmm. that can be changed that are enforced by lawyers. And so, so FTX is an example of um, fraud. Um, where money was taken away from users who thought that money was there. Um, and it was rehypothecated to do something else. Um, no question. Um, but what it was not, it was not done in DeFi. DeFi users would always hold their NFTs, they'd always hold their cryptocurrency, and, uh, and that didn't occur. So this is just like, this is like Bernie Madoff. Yeah. Someone gave them money and they misappropriated it. It has nothing to do with crypto um, as a technology uh, and how it was enabled. I think it's a really helpful way of describing it because it even helps me even understand it further where it's like you have DeFi, which is people engaging with smart contracts, nobody in the middle, creating really clean transactions. And then you have someone like Sam or SBF who says, who sells the idea of that and then says, but give me your, your cryptocurrency right. and I will do those things for you, right. right? And then what happens? He goes and he frauds everyone and takes yeah. everyone's money. But that does not underpin or, 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 or cause you to not actually like DeFi. It causes you to realize that, hey, that's actually the model here. It's the model here. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and, and so, and we think about the growth. I mean, this industry is, is, is young, you know, a decade and a half, right? And so building out the right uh, solutions for 
um, for custody, for people to safely custody them assets by themselves, which is, is a good practice yeah. that everyone should do because that's, that's the movement. That's the movement. It's why we're doing this, right? Um, we're doing it not just to avoid these trusted counterparties, but we're doing it to better connect to the billions of people in the world, that's right. right? And to open up finance, much like we've opened up the internet with communication, right? Mm-hmm. We, can, we can look up any information on the internet. We can chat with pretty much anyone. Like there are no boundaries for us to engage and to learn and to teach. Uh, but there still is within money and banking. You know, we do have these boundaries and some are some are well-intentioned uh, with things like sanctions, but others are just, you know, I call them lines in the sand. I actually think this whole FTX thing is, is gonna actually turn out to be a positive for the industry. I know so actually, because it's gonna show that um, it's gonna help education. It's gonna help companies that you know, lean into zero trust and providing transparency, be the ones that are successful. Mm-hmm. And that ultimately is the best for the consumer. So I, I think it, it's uh, it's interesting, right? Maybe um, one last thing I'll, I'll leave you with, I know we're kind of uh, running out of time here. Um, if you are brand new to Web3 and you hear NFTs and you hear cryptocurrencies and you hear of FTX and the FTX kind of meltdown, um, wh- what would you say to them? And, and how could, could you explain to them that really NFTs and digital assets really share very, the only thing they share in common with cryptocurrencies is that they use underlying blockchains together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so, you know, one thing um, I tell my students as well is like all the benefits of cryptocurrency as being digital um, and, you know, the markets are liquid, there's 24 seven trading, yeah. it's digital um, and it knows no boundaries and it can move at the at the speed of data. Yeah. Um, that's a that's a great benefit that we have, but that also uh, becomes uh, a very high risk. And the risk is is that um, as as fast as I entrust someone else to safeguard my assets, uh, they can move them at the speed yeah. of data, right? And so um, so there's this there's this sort of uh, balance between like why why we're in the space is to enable individual freedom um, and individual choice and and uh, options in terms of their financial resources and you know NFT affiliations. We can do that the speed of data um, but also at the same time you know we have to make sure that we're that we understand security and so instead of entrusting a middleman like Sandbank and Freed and FTX, um, we have to learn about, um, better like custody procedures or protocols. Um, right now it's a little difficult. You do have to save it on a disk and connect it to your computer and yeah. you know use a browser insert, right? It's not, it's not cut and dry. Uh, but you know, as we said with we'll get the NFT infrastructure, yeah. like we're getting there and we're getting to, I mean, I already know of a number of solutions that solve for this, but we just need more roll-up. I really think that we'll like the way that the way that people ask about crypto and blockchain today, they're like, well, how does it work? And what's what's behind the hood? And what is Bitcoin mining? Um, people were asking those same questions in you know 1995 about email yeah, and yeah. HTTP and SSL certificates. And because, and but now we just use them, yeah. right? It's just a standard. And, and, and not only everyone's accepted the technology, but there's been so much infrastructure build out around it that it's just part of our everyday life. And I just feel like we're gonna get there with 
crypto and NFTs in terms of custody, in terms of our ability to yeah. safely secure, but also transfer and also like be more interactive with blockchain technology, but to be able to do it in a free way where we're not worried about I, you know the theft and we don't have to give away our keys. This is this is exactly where it goes, right? And and the day where people interact safely with this technology aren't required to trust anybody and it works and they don't even think about it that'll be the time where we get to real mass adoption absolutely um what a great way to leave it so Todd, yeah. thanks for coming in this has been so educational and so helpful so thank you so much and always just so much fun you talking got to it you. i enjoy it awesome